Good Bible conference we had this past week. Appreciate all the folks that came out so faithfully for all of the services. And also, thank the Lord for the very generous love offering that we were able to present to uh, Tom Harmon. Uh, he received about $3,600 in a love offering. I got a phone call from him on Thursday morning. He was absolutely blown away by that. That doesn't happen at every church that he goes to especially some of the smaller ones that he goes to. So, by the way, uh, we have him scheduled for April the 15th to the 18th, 2018. So take out your 2018 calendar and put that in there. I told him that we'll schedule it, but I really hope that we don't have to have that Bible conference. I hope we'll be meeting around Jesus by that time. But if the Lord tarries, we'll be here for a good time together. We've been talking about parenting. Sometimes it's not easy to be a parent. It's hard to be a parent. You might have uh, perhaps noticed you didn't see Norm Avery's smiling face to greet you here this morning when you came in. He is uh, home with his daughter and one of his sons. He just got word uh, this weekend that his son Lee, who has been an educator in Australia for years, uh, has liver cancer and is not expected to live much longer. In fact, he went to England for treatment. They told him they could not really do anything for him and uh, now has gone to, to Rome, could not make it back to uh, Australia. I don't know all the details on that, but I believe he's in a hospital in Rome at this time. So please pray for, for Norm and for Lee and for his family as well. And um, yeah, you're not supposed to uh, have your kids die before you do, but uh, Sometimes that happens, and God's way is perfect. It's a joy to be a parent. Sometimes it's hard to be a parent. We uh, began talking a couple of weeks ago about the ride of parenting, and uh, we find that uh, it's kind of a good acronym for some of the things that are involved in parenting. Number one is the matter of relationship. We need to have a good relationship with our, our children. And the basis for having a right relationship with our children and being able to parent them correctly is to have a right relationship with God. In fact, really, to be able to do anything properly in this life, you need to have a right relationship with God. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing that really counts. We need the Lord tremendously. We need to be in a right relationship with Him. And we find that having a right relationship with our children also means appreciating children as a wonderful gift from God. And uh, we find that yeah, some of the things there that uh, Josh McDowell made a very, uh, I think, powerful statement a number of years ago when he wrote, rules without relationship results in rebellion. You know, if you just try to tell people what to do and you have no platform from which to speak, it doesn't produce good results. This morning we begin talking about some eyes in the ride. Uh, the ride is relationship. The I is instruction, imaging, and insistence upon obedience. The D is discipline. And hopefully we'll get through that this morning. And the E has to do with enduring, enduring love, a very great key in parenting. When we think about the I in the matter of parenting, there is the matter of, first of all, instruction. You know, to uh, discipline people and never having told them what they need to know 
is really quite unfair. And God doesn't deal that way with us. He, he, he teaches us. We find that uh, parents are to teach their children. We're told in Ephesians 6 that, that we're to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That has to do with instruction. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it says, starting in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets to your eyes. So one of the first things that parents are to do is to teach their children about God and teach children God's ways, how important it is that we, we do that. So many times we teach kids that they, they need to go to, to get a job, to be able to work in the world. But, boy, if we don't teach them about the Lord, we don't teach them about heaven, we don't teach them about the Bible, we don't teach them about salvation, we are, we are really missing something of, of tremendous importance. We find the whole book of Proverbs is basically about Solomon as a father giving instructions to his, his son. In fact, he says in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for there will be graceful and graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. We as parents need to make sure we teach positive truth, uh, teach expectations, sometimes giving reasons for those expectations and, and why we want children to do or grandchildren to do certain things, and we need to admonish them and also warn them about the consequences of disobedience. So instruction is a very, very important part of, of parenting, teaching, whether you're sitting down, whether you're walking, uh, taking teachable moments, teach, teachable opportunities to be able to teach our children the things that really count in life. We also find that the eye speaks about imaging, uh, being a picture of Christ to our kids. We find that uh, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. How important it is that parents do the same thing. Uh, we, uh, the fact of the matter is, Parents are to practice what they preach. Parents do teach by example. Sometimes we teach right. Sometimes we teach wrong by our example. When we do things that are wrong, uh, kids pick up on that. The fact is, we go through life, there are some things that are more caught than taught. Uh, you don't sit down and try to teach them in a formal way, but you teach by what you do. And we can teach in a negative way as well as in a, a positive way. Uh, one thing that, that provokes children to wrath and discouragement is for parents to be hypocritical, to say one thing and to do another. And children somehow seem to catch our, our bad example quicker than our good example. Maybe it's got something to do with the sin nature. I don't know, but they seem to be able to pick up on the negatives even more quickly than the, the positive. God is our great example to us as the perfect heavenly Father. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I don't have a very good impression of God because my earthly father was such a jerk. You know, it, it shouldn't be that way. In fact, what we ought to do is look at God and see what, what He is as a heavenly Father 
and the way that he treats us and he's to be our pattern then in our parenting and in our our grandparenting uh, look at how, how the Lord deals with us and, and take that as an example he loves us and, and has gone to great lengths to establish a relationship with us in fact he's got to the length gone to the lengths where, where God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and went to the cross at Calvary so that that we could be brought into a relationship with God he made all the provision necessary for our salvation us to be children of God uh, oh the, uh, what a great love that he has for us God also instructs us he instructed Adam when he was in the garden Adam I want you to take care of the garden Adam I want you to you can eat from anything in the garden that you want to Adam I want you to to go forth and multiply and I want you to uh, take dominion over the earth but Adam there's one tree I don't want you to eat of the tree of the, the, the knowledge of good and evil God instructs us as our Heavenly Father in fact that's one of the things the scripture is all about in 2nd Corinthians chapter or 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that it is profitable for it says doctrine you know what doctrine is that's teaching that's instruction you, you want to know something uh, about life and living your life you know don't go to Google first don't go to the internet first go to the Word of God first God wants to teach us how we ought to live our lives how we can live our lives you want to have love joy peace long-suffering the fruit of the Spirit now go to the scriptures and God teaches us all about life in his word and thank God not only life in this world but he teaches us about the next life the life that's coming one of these days this life's coming to an end and one of the first things I learned about this life is on this earth is it it is temporary and it goes by very very quickly and we only have one life down here we don't get do-overs we don't get another opportunity and, and thank God there's something beyond this life and it's an eternity that we get to live with with our Heavenly Father with the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit of God and with brothers and sisters in Christ what a wonderful what a truth that is to know so God teaches us I, I would give you a note of uh, consolation and comfort here this one sometimes when, when our, our kids don't turn out exactly perfect and anybody here have their kids turn out perfect okay <laughs> just Mr. Brown here and Mr. Karpovich who's childless at this point in his life but uh, kids don't turn out it's amazing how grandkids can turn out perfect though from, from our imperfect children it's amazing how that happens uh, well let's face it none of our kids have turned out perfect not even the brown kids have turned out perfect at least not all of them anyway but one word of comfort here and consolation is the fact that God is the only perfect parent. Now, there is no other perfect parent. And his first children rebelled against him. And they did not have a sin nature when they rebelled against God. They chose to rebel against him even without having a sin nature. And they were in a perfect environment. Environment wasn't the problem. They chose to do what they wanted to do instead of what God had told them to do. And when our children do wrong, it is not necessarily our fault. Well, sometimes we do things that uh, 
are, are bad examples to our kids. Let's face that. We get, do have to take some responsibility. Some, but we don't have to take all the responsibility. Uh, sometimes kids rebel, go off in the wrong direction, and they, they do it on the, totally on their own. Children are accountable for rebellion against their parents. We find God addresses children directly about their responsibility. He lays the responsibility on them in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, what? Obey your parents. Where's the responsibility there? It's placed on the children. Obey your parents. They've got that responsibility. We find that uh, Proverbs 30, 17 gives pretty solemn warning to children who would rebel against and mock their parents. It says that the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. That sounds pretty gruesome, doesn't it? Rebellion against parents can be a very, very serious matter. We find that uh, the third eye has to do with insistence upon obedience. God expects obedience to his instruction. He speaks of rewards for obedience, and he warns of consequences of disobedience, and God keeps his word. If he says he's going to reward something, he rewards it. If he warns against something and tells us he's going to do something because of of rebellion against him, he follows through on that. Uh, We find that in, in Genesis, he tells Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he warns he says the day you eat of it what will happen you will die and the day they ate of that fruit they died spiritually first of all something happened to their relationship with God and they hide from God the next time he comes looking for them and something also happens to them physically and they began the dying process it took years and years for it to work its way through them But they began the dying process, and and every offspring, every descendant of Adam and Eve is affected by the the consequences that came upon them at the fall. And today it is still appointed unto man once to what? Die. None of us, unless the Lord comes at the rapture, are going to get out of this world alive. It's appointed us all to die at some point along the way. When, When God promises rewards, he gives it. And with the Israelites, he gave an unconditional promise to Abraham that they would have the land of Canaan. It would belong to Abraham and and his descendants. But he also warns in in this covenant through Moses that if if they served him, they would have blessings in the land. If they rebelled against him, they would be cursed in the land. God would send pestilence. God would cause them to, to have drought in the land, that they'd have crop failure. He'd send enemies against them, and if they still didn't turn to God, he said, I'll take you out of the land. And God did that. In fact, from 70 A.D. until 1947, there was no Israel. Wow. But today, there is an Israel. So God keeps his word uh, perfectly. Uh, We find that he also uh, gives a great promise that children should obey their parents. In the Lord, for there's a, a great promise that's connected with that, that they would live long in the land. You know, p- parents do teach their, do their children a great service when they teach them.
to respect and obey authority. When we teach our children that, we do the children a great service. We do society a great service. When we don't do that and we have people that have no respect for authority, we have what we have in the United States of America in 2016. We have anarchy in some of the younger generations. What a sad thing that is to experience that. Here's, here's a novel idea for you. Parents ought to be in control of the home, not the children. I know that's something brand new, right, in this day and age. But, but when parents are in control and they teach the children their, the, the uh, obey authority and respect authority, whether it's parental authority or whether it be school and civil authority or God's authority, how important that is. Many of you come from the generation like I do where if I got in trouble at, at school and I came home and told my parents about it, you know what? They did not go into the school and get in the teacher's face. They didn't go in and question the teacher as to how they could punish their dear little boy. You know what I was told? You go to school, you, go in, you get in trouble at school, you come home, you're going to be in twice as much trouble when you get home. So the moral of that story, don't get in trouble at school. Listen to the teacher. Pay attention to the teacher. Obey what the teacher has to say. I was also told if, if uh, you disrespect civil authority and a policeman takes you to jail, don't waste your one phone call on calling me. So <laughs> there you go. You know, you're going to face your consequences. And uh, maybe there needs to be a little bit more of that as well. And certainly we need to teach people to be obedient to God's authority. I'll tell you, one, one way to do that is for parents, fathers in particular, to let children see that they live, the fathers live under God's authority. You know, they, we need to let our kids know, I'm, I'm responsible to God to obey Him in the way that I treat you and the things that I do in my life. And we need to let our kids know we do certain things because if it's, it's in obedience to God and obedience to the Word of God. And when they see that we live under authority, you know, nobody in this world is left by God to just do what we want to do, to just do what we feel like. We are servants. If you're a Christian this morning, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And if we're the servant, He is Lord. And when you have a servant-Lord relationship, who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. So many times we don't live our lives that way, do we? We need to live as servants. And let our children see that we're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and live our lives for them. We find that when there is disobedience, there needs to be discipline. Discipline in love and in grace and with a desire for, for restoration as well. Restoration, getting back on the right path. That's what you're after. That's what you want. That brings us to the D in ride, discipline. And we find that, that God disciplines his children. If you have your Bible, go, turn over with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Great passage of Scripture. Great, great passage of Scripture. By the way, if you're thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not raising kids anymore. I'm not raising grandkids anymore or, or even dealing with that. You know what? This whole matter of discipline still relates to you because we're all under our heavenly Father. 
and we need to understand that relationship with him and we find that the the statement comes in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12 and you've forgotten the exhortations which speaks to you as sons God deals with us and speaks to us as sons as children he says my son do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening God deals with you as with sons for what son is there whom a father does not chasten but if you're without chastening of which all have become partakers then you're illegitimate and not sons furthermore we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit always for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but grievous Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That passage of Scripture about the discipline of God is so packed with teaching for discipline in our homes and in our families today. It's amazing. God disciplines his children whom he loves. This word, when it talks about chastening, it comes from the Greek term paideia for child, and it has to do with child training. And it, it, it's not just a negative thing, but rather it includes instruction, and it does include correction, and, and it does in, include chastening and, and physical correction. It's instructive discipline as well as corrective discipline. God disciplines his children. We must follow his example. By the way, this is a good guideline for grandparents as well. You know, the, the sad, sad is the situation where the grandparent just spoils the kid rotten and undermines the, the, the relationship of the home with, with the parent. I, I think parents need to sometimes discipline, or grandparents need to discipline their grand. It is kind of nice, though, when you can just send them home, after, you know, done things like that. But uh, there, there's a need for it. We need to follow God's example, and we find that there are a number of examples that are given in, in Scripture. One is rebuke. Uh, God rebukes us. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, we read that the, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine. That's instruction. It's also profitable for rebuke, reproof. God tells us in the Word of God where we do wrong. And it's profitable for correction, to tell us how to correct what we're doing wrong. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It, the Word of God teaches us how to keep from doing wrong again and, and to live on the right track. Parents need to do the same thing. Sometimes we have to rebuke our children. Now, we need to be careful about that. The Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. And parents, I think, need to be very careful about the way that we speak to our children, even in rebuking them, and speaking to grandchildren as well. You know, you can do a whole lot more harm with your tongue even than you can do physically. And the things you say verbally can be very, very powerful in a, in a child's life and extremely harmful if we rebuke them in the wrong fashion, telling kids they're stupid, telling kids they're no good, telling kids they're never going to amount to anything like that. 
uh, never, never going to amount to anything in their life. Those are terrible forms of rebuke. No, God never speaks to us that way, does he? Scriptures don't speak to us that fashion. God speaks to us of his love and his concern. And yeah, he tells us where we do wrong, but, but he, he doesn't belittle us. So we need to be careful going the same way. Sometimes discipline takes the form of natural consequences. You know, children don't pick up their toys, so they, they just get put away. Uh, sometimes God takes care of the natural consequences. You know, a, a child's told, don't play in that tree. Don't play in that tree. Don't play in that tree. So the kid plays in the tree, and they fall out of the tree. You know, they, maybe I shouldn't have played in that tree. Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't touch that. It's hot. They touch it, and what do they find out? It's hot. It's hot. It reminds me of the story of the blacksmith that was making horseshoes, and there was a young boy in his, his, in his shop, and he told him, whatever you do, don't touch one of those horseshoes. You know, they're going to be hot when I finish with them. They're going to be hot. Kid tries to pick up a horseshoe, picks it up, drops it real quick. Says, it's hot, isn't it? He says, no, it just doesn't take me very long to look at a horseshoe. So, well, somebody has, sometimes people have an answer for everything. But sometimes natural consequences teach. And sometimes parents need to let natural consequences take their, take their course instead of rescuing our kids from every little thing. But some of the natural consequences take their place. Sometimes there's logical consequences. God does that in his chastening. One of the things Paul was concerned about is if he was unfaithful in carrying out the ministry God had for him, he wouldn't be allowed to have his ministry. He'd be put on the shelf. He'd be put on the shelf. One of the things Jesus warns the churches in, uh, in Asia Minor about in, in Revelation 2 and 3 is, I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. And he points out good things in most of the churches and some of the negative things and he warns in a couple situations if you don't turn around and repent you're going to lose your lampstand you're going to lose your light and sadly most of those churches that he wrote to aren't in existence anymore sometimes there's such a thing as as, as logical consequences god speaks about loss of of reward taking place and uh, he, he warns in first corinthians chapter 3 he tells us, first of all, that uh, sometimes, number one, there's only one foundation you can build your life on or build a church on, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be careful that we build for eternity and build in obedience to the Lord because sometimes things are like wood, hay, and stubble, and they, they, they burn up. They just don't count for eternity. Other times, things are worth gold, silver, and precious stones, and they will last for eternity, things that are done for the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes with kids, sometimes you reward. Sometimes there's loss of reward. Sometimes there are privileges that are given that are taken away if those privileges are abused. By the way, we find that uh, there are also unpleasant consequences. One of the things it says here in, in verse 11, Hebrews, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. What's grievous? That's bad. That's unpleasant. That's, I don't like it. That's, it, it's painful. That's that it, 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 it's sorrowful. And, and discipline's not something that is pleasant. It needs to be unpleasant. Sometimes, as we said a moment ago, it's taking away privileges. Israel lost the privilege of being in the land because they rebelled against God. Sometimes it's taking away toys. 
taking away the bike that's left in the driveway, taking away car keys when kids get older. My son, my, I used, that's one of the things we used with my son Paul as he was up 16, 17 years of age. By the way, he had bought his own car at that point, but we still made, I made him give my, me his keys on a few occasions. And one of his statements to me was, can't you think of anything else? Doesn't even, bother, doesn't even bother me for you to take away my keys. But you know what? It did bother him for me to take away. It was grievous. It was unpleasant. And you know what? I wanted it to be unpleasant. Discipline supposed to be unpleasant for the one that is being disciplined. It's supposed to be that way. And... Uh, he said, well, I, I did tell him, I said, tell you what, if, if, if that stops working and it, it doesn't really make you miserable, then I'm going to stay awake at night trying to think of ways to make you miserable. Whenever you don't do what you're supposed to or you don't show respect to your mother or whatever. So it's important that we make discipline grievous. We find that sometimes discipline has to do with the kids making restitution. Anybody here when you were younger ever steal anything? from a corner store and your parents made you take it back tell the proprietor what you did give it back to them and then maybe pay for it too and still don't get that that's not a bad thing is it making them face up sometimes discipline involves asking for forgiveness and apologizing there's also such a thing as physical discipline physical consequences the bible talks about about the rod when it talks about the rod, it's talking about a straight stick, a small straight stick. And uh, we find that God uses physical punishment. David was aware of that. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David says, When I kept silent about his sin with Bathsheba, he says, My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. You know, sometimes the rod is necessary. The scripture lays it out. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly, close to the time of the offense. Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness. By the way, that's not silliness. It's talking about really a bent towards sin. It is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, Do not withhold correction from a child for if you beat him with a rod he will not die you will beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell Proverbs 29 15 the rod and rebuke give wisdom but a child left to himself to do whatever he wants to bring shame to his mother discipline must be done in, in love and with the well-being of the child in mind and especially even physical discipline that takes place uh, by the way, we are not talking about abuse here. We're not talking about beating kids mercilessly, but we are talking sometimes there is physical discipline. That is, not, I know that's out of vogue, that's out of fashion today, but you know what? My Bible in the book of Proverbs still has those passages that I read to you. Sometimes it is necessary. Who knows you, that, that you cannot reason very well with a two-year-old? You know, and explain to them why they shouldn't do such a thing and, and, and how it may affect them and, and go into great detail. It just doesn't work. But sometimes physical discipline is necessary to work. And 
let me give you just a few guidelines for this matter of physical discipline. It's got to be done in love. Uh, there's special instruments. The Bible talks about the rod, small, long stick, a neutral object. By the way, I really don't believe it's a good idea to use your hand whenever you spank a child because you want to use that same hand to reach out to them and caress them. The Bible talks about the rod, using a rod, something neutral, whether it's a stick, whether it's a wooden spoon. They work well. One of those paddles that had the little rubber ball on it. Uh, hair brushes work well. I told you a while back, my mother, my mother used her shoe on us occasionally. You know, something other than, other than the hand. Uh, you know, you don't always have the, the rod that you have available there right with you. But, you know, most women have a hairbrush in their purse. So you might want to take into consideration what you might have to use it for besides brushing your hair the next time you buy a hairbrush. But a, a neutral instrument that, that can be used. It needs, to spank it needs to be a special occasion when the parent is under control. It cannot be just an angry reaction, even a senseless angry reaction. That's not the kind of chasing that God puts upon us. It needs to be under control. In fact, there's a place for getting alone with the child. Uh, in some ways, that's, that's good for the child themselves. You know, who wants to be publicly humiliated? You know, and, and our children don't need to be publicly humiliated. I know a few occasions my... My kids have taken my grant and said, excuse us for a minute. And they've gone off to the bedroom or gone off to the bathroom. And, and that, that, that's a good thing. And by the way, also in this day and age in which we live, it's probably a, a good idea. You've got to be careful if you, if you do any swatting of your kids on the bottom or anything in a, in a grocery store or even out in the car in a parking lot. But there's a place for getting the child alone and not publicly humiliating them. By the way, a, a spanking should hurt. It should be grievous, as it says here in Hebrews 12. If it doesn't hurt, then it, it's, it's not going to be very effective, right? A one, by the way, it shouldn't be out of control once again. One, two, three, good swats, depending on what the offense is. By the way, uh, you don't spank a kid for spilling his milk. You know, things like open defiance, uh, in, in our home, disrespect of the mother was a defense that was punishable by a spanking from the father. You know, children need to be the, the ch children need to know that they have to respect their mother. My kids always knew they had to respect my wife. She was their mother and my wife. By the way, there is a special place for spanking. God designed with some nerve endings, but but nothing really that can you do a whole lot of damage to. And it's been expressed this way, that there's a, a way you can apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge and understanding that can be very effective. Uh, as you do that, I think there's a place for being very careful. You don't want to smack fingers and hands if you're trying to give spanking with a rod. I'll tell you what we did in our house. Usually we'd take the kids into the bathroom, have them put their hands on the counter, uh, vanity, I guess it was. Keep your hands there. You're getting two swats. You know, you, you smacked your little brother. You're getting two swats. So bend over, put your hands on the on the vanity, leave them there. And uh, then they got a couple of, couple of swats that were designed not to scar, not to maim, 
not to just work out my frustration or my wife's frustration, but they were designed to cause them to not want to carry out the kind of behavior that they were being punished for again. Sometimes the, there are some pressure points in the body that can be used effectively. I know my dad, when I, we were in church, he uh, could put his hand around my mother, and if I happened to be sitting next to her and was acting up, well, there's a place right here that it's called the trapezius muscle. I didn't know that it was the trapezius muscle until I heard Jim Dobson talking about it one time. And then I found out what the tra trapezius muscle was. All I knew was it was a place in my body that if my dad just pushed his finger down, it hurt. And I would stop doing whatever I was doing and, and, and pay, pay attention. And it didn't cause injury, but it got my attention so that I could pay attention. Well, when Jim, James Dobson was talking about it, he was saying, by the way, a good guideline is if you can't reach the trapezius muscle without reaching up, don't squeeze it. When you talk about the, the time in life when you discipline children physically. And just a couple of suggestions here. First of all, I think sometimes people ask, well, how old should kids be before you start disciplining physically? Probably when they're able to, old enough to understand no. They can understand no, and they define no. And sometimes there can be a place for helping them to understand physically that it hurts around here to say no and to do no. Uh, the other thing is that the children ought to be young enough that they can be handled without it turning into a fight. <laughs> you know, when kids get to a certain age, you, you don't want to be spanking a 16-year-old. You don't want to be trying to spank a 16-year-old. And... Uh, back, I don't think you want to be doing that with a 12 or 13 year old generally. You know, there's a window there when sometimes there's a place for using physical discipline. Not abuse, physical discipline. But you better use that opportunity. And we better teach our children about respect for authority and things like that when they're young. Because if they haven't learned it when they're young, you know what, it becomes a whole lot harder as they get older. If the police are teaching our children respect for our authority instead of us teaching them respect for authority in the home it's a whole lot more costly and a whole lot more difficult we need to teach our children when they're young enough and, and malleable and, and shapely uh, can be shaped a couple of good books dare to discipline by james dobson another one withhold not correction by a gentleman by i believe it's bruce ray i loaned that book to somebody didn't get it back uh but i think it's bruce ray is the author of that one other factor about God's discipline, God chastens those who are already his children. It emphasizes that here in Hebrews 12. Uh, if, if he's not chastening us, it's an indication we don't belong to him. But th there's also something else that comes into play, and that's the fact that, that God does care about the whole world, and he does do things in people's lives sometimes to, to get their attention and, and bring them to the place where they will repent of their sin and turn to him and become their child we find that God works in that fashion one of the other big things here when it comes to this matter of discipline and this is something for each of us to learn here whether it's children reflecting on the discipline of their parents whether it's you and me reflecting upon God's discipline in our life and that's the fact that our response to discipline a right response to discipline is of absolute importance 
In fact, there's this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 12, and it's going to talk about chastening, and it's going to talk about discipline. What's it start out saying? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. You know, it's a place where when we have done wrong, we ought to admit it and recognize it. And if we get disciplined, hey, we deserved it. Maybe deserve more. That can be true for a child in his relationship with his parents. It can be true in our relationship with our God that we would not despise his chastening, but rather we would, would learn from it. We would appreciate it. In fact, when God does chasten us, what's it prove? It proves he loves us, right? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom a parent or a grandparent loves, they chasten. I don't chasten the neighbor's kids or the neighbor's grandkids. But I love my kids, and I'm responsible for my kids. I'm responsible for my grandkids. And there's a place for appreciating And there's a place for enduring it, accepting it, and hopefully learning from it. You know, sometimes God brings trials and tests into our life so that we'll learn from them with the goal of us responding and being like Jesus. And if we don't learn it the first time, God does give retests. Because he's trying to shape us and mold us and make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. How people respond to discipline is of tremendous importance. We need to appreciate it. We need to learn from it. And our response to God's discipline or working in our lives, if you're an unbeliever and God's dealing with you and you're miserable in your life right now, it's because God's trying to get your attention. And sometimes the only way you can get people's attention is to put them on your back, and then they have to look up. So if you're an unbeliever, God's dealing with you. Don't turn them away. And as believers, we ought to grow in the faith, grow in faithfulness, and grow in love for our Savior through what the Lord does in our lives, even by way of divine chastening. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us, Thank you that you care enough to rebuke us in your word. Thank you that you care enough to convict us and and bring us to the place where we would repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that that every parent here, every grandparent here would, would learn from your example as our Heavenly Father and the way that you deal with us and your great patience. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to be faithful. And God, we pray that when chastening comes into our own life, that we would respond to it positively and not, not despise it, not chafe against it, but Lord, we would accept it and we would allow it to, to draw us into the path in which you want us to walk. And we pray for young people here, Lord, when they get chastened, we pray they'd recognize that it's a desire of people that love them to help them walk in the right direction, to walk in a godly path in this life and to live their lives for Jesus. And may that be the result, that we would live for the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. As we close this morning, would you turn to 372?